Yo, 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 you're listening to Keep On Tolkien, the internet's number one podcast for Tolkien shit. Um, I'm Danny J. I'm here with Joel. How's it going, guys? And we're about to do episode three, Why the Hobbit Movie Sucks. But today, we're going to talk about why it kind of doesn't suck sometimes. We wanted to switch it up because it got so insanely negative. <laughs> we're really glad that you guys stuck through us for yeah, those two episodes. Real negative. But so we wanted to, we wanted to end it on a positive note this this three parter so right. that's what that's what today's episode is about mm-hmm. but so uh, we're gonna start it off with our daily Tolkien excerpt um, today was my was my choice of excerpt so I'm gonna read something off a uh, little context the portion that I'm going to read off to you guys is an excerpt from Tolkien's The Lays of Beleriand specifically called The Lay of Luthien. Um, this is going to take place in the first age rather than the third age where I, I take it uh, the large portion of, of Tolkien's fan base is, is more familiar with the third age, you know, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit and all that such. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to take place in the first age. So this is thousands of years prior. Way back. Way back. And this is uh, going to... The world is literally a different place. Incredibly, like <laughs> physically, geologically, it's very yeah, different. It's different. Things and are different. And it's a, it's a lot more magical. It's beautiful. It's... Uh, it's the Elder Days, as yeah, you may have Yeah, the Elder heard. Days is what they'll refer to it You've as. You've probably yeah. heard uh, Elrond referring to the Elder Days, or, or maybe Gandalf, Gandalf or Galadriel. They were all there at that time, but yeah. uh, it's the nonetheless. It's the most epic days. So this quote that I'm going to read from the Lays, the Lays are like a, a, a lot of poems that Tolkien did, and they're absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to read an excerpt regarding King Fingolfin. He was, a, he was an elven king back in the first age of the uh, group of Noldor. And uh, he was going, this, this quote is explaining him riding north in rage to go challenge the primary source of evil at the time, which is, no, not Sauron, as most <laughs> people might think. No, sir. Sauron is actually quite small compared to this motherfucker. Sauron was Third this, banana. Yeah, th- Sauron was this guy's uh, captain in his army at one mm. point. We're talking about Melkor. Also known as Morgoth, he's more or less the uh, the real pain in the ass. Yeah, the re- he's way more powerful. He's a much bigger deal. He's essentially the you might want you might call him like the satanic figure in mm-hmm. Tolkien's yeah Tolkien's world. So this is uh, told from a perspective of a different character, uh, kind of reflecting on what happened with Fingolfin. So here we go, guys. It's this good, is good one, guys. Listen up. So this is an excerpt from the Lay of Luthien, Canto Thirteen. In that vast shadow once of yore, Fingolfin stood, his shield he bore, with filed of heaven's blue and star, of crystal shining pale afar. In overmastering wrath and hate, desperate he smote upon the gate, the elvish king there standing lone, while endless fortress of stone engulfed the thin clear ringing keen of silver horn on baldric green. His hopeless challenge, dauntless cried, Fingolfin there, come open wide, dark king, your ghastly brazen doors, come forth whom earth and heaven abhors, come forth, O monstrous cavern lord, and fight with thine own hand and sword. Thou wilder host of banded thralls, thou tyrant leaguered with strong walls, foe of Valar and elvish race, I wait thee here, come, show thy face. Then Morgoth came, for the last time, in those great wars he dared to climb, from subterranean throne profound, 
the rummer of his feet a sound of rumbling earthquake underground. Black-armored, towering, iron-crowned, he issued forth his mighty shield, a vast, unblazoned sable field with shadow like thundercloud. And o'er the gleaming king he bowed, as huge aloft like mace he hurled, that hammer of the underworld, Grand. Amen. That's the end of the quote. Amen. <laughs> All right. But that's the excerpt for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find that in the Silmarillion, the non-poem version. You can find that on page 153, paragraph 2. Or if you want to read the lay that I read off to you, that, like I said, was from the Lay of Luthien, Canto 13. But on to the episode for today. Part 3. Part 3. What we actually liked about the Hobbit movies, because... Because we did like some things. Some yeah, things. This, this episode was almost therapeutic for me because it forced me to sit down and address things I liked about the movie, as in right. denial as I am about There's a duality the of the problem. Yeah, because there are things that were, that were good. So the, the first thing that I really wanted to talk about, being a, a, a big film guy, is the, uh, the technology that the Hobbit trilogy showcased, which I think, was... I think that's really their, the best thing they did in this movie. That's yeah, their... Yeah, uh, no, I, I was amazed by the, by the tech. Because by, by, by what we mean about the tech is uh, the high frame rate. They shot it in 48 frames per second mm-hmm. rather than 24. It was a very, it was a very pretty movie. And they, yeah. did a, they did a very good job with that. And the yeah that the HFR the high frame rate was was a great choice to show, especially the kind of like uh, battles that they showed. Like, mm-hmm. Because in in high frame rate you can see motion more clearly, which a lot of people think makes it look more fake. Which is a good argument, but at the same time it it looks insanely real to me. And uh, yeah, you can see the str- every stroke of every sword in every battle. Just the high frame rate. the combination of the new recording in 3D that they did the new version of 3D where it wasn't just you know filmed, a few yeah, four 3D yeah filmed for 3D so rather than having like post production you know splitting it into a couple two dimensional planes that are further away from each other that look really shitty this was a very well done 3D and then adding the high frame rate in there just made the 3D that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, Which made it more rounded and what we'll, we'll talk about later a little bit too is uh. Is well, actually, no. We're talking about that right now. Actually, the layers, the layers of 3D, mm-hmm. um, in specific scenes where you can really tell the layers are uh, the White Council scenes. The White uh, Council and everything in Rivendell was fucking gorgeous. Yeah, Rivendell was like it was like we hadn't seen Rivendell yeah. up until this point. It was like, like it was, Rivendell 2.0. Was yeah, great. it was it was it was crazy. The amount of uh, layers um, of 3D three dimensional planes that they had, and all the waterfalls. And how crisp and clear the waterfalls were in the high frame. I really liked their version of the moon room too. Yes. Under a waterfall on some crystal table. It was it was really gorgeous. I, I, I dug it. It was pretty good. Yeah, the moon room was great. I really like the moon room. That that's some real Noldor shit. Like they would they yeah. would really oh, take yeah. that shit. <laughs> Noldor would be happy. I also really liked how the high frame rate and the three D worked together in the scene with the uh, the spiders in Mirkwood. Yeah. I was absolutely blown away sitting in my chair watching those spiders move around because their m- movements were so fast and so crisp and you could see everything that was mm-hmm. going on. It was it was unreal. I was actually kind of uh I started getting uh getting shivers, you know, my hair's standing on end when I was watching those spiders move around. It was 
the arachnophobia yeah in you it yeah. was uh it was getting to me yeah it i know good. some people that can't straight up they won't watch the sheila like my girlfriend won't watch sheila but like she's like that mm, fuck that no um yeah i've had a couple of people walk out on the sheila parts in lord of the rings they do peter jackson does disgusting creatures well i mean he always he always has one thing that we also wanted to give props to sort of on the same subject is the uh, art director for the movie, we thought the oh, art yeah. directing was was actually pretty good, pretty yeah. good point. Whoever that was, we, we probably should have looked it up. But whoever whoever that was, um, did a really really good job. Well, I know some of the stuff from Del Toro was still left over. Like Del Toro's uh, version of Mirkwood is more or less what they went with, mm-hmm. from my understanding, and a couple other things. I know they scrapped Del Toro's version of Smog, uh, but I actually liked the version of Smog that they came up with. I thought it was an appropriate dragon. Yeah, I thought. I had no complaints on the. Mm-hmm. On the dragon, and Cumberbatch. Front. Cumberbatch, yeah, he he did the voices really well. He does the voice of he the, did the, he did the voices and he did the mocap. Mm-hmm. He, and he, he did pulled mo-cap, an Andy yeah. Circus and yeah. he straight up did all the mocap. He did all of the the slithery body movements and things. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was impressive. Good job. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, great. And that's another thing like that. A lot of the performances in the movie are good. Like, yeah, and the casting is. Uh, uh, I mean, they're uh, uh, the casting has its issues. But some of them are are perfect. Mm-hmm. Like like oh, yeah. Martin Freeman, that was that was a perfect cast. He was he was amazing. Fantastic as, as Bilbo. Bilbo, I really liked it. Yeah, and then well, obviously the people that carry over from the first films, you know, right, Christopher right. Lee, um, Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen, uh, Hugo Weaving. We'll talk about Hugo Weaving. There's some debate about <laughs> Hugo Weaving, <laughs> but um. Yeah, Hugo Weaving is, is who plays Elrond. And, uh, yeah, Kate Blanchett, obviously. She's back. Mm-hmm. Doing another fantastic version of Galadriel. She seems like she just doesn't age ever. No, I think that's why they cast her, probably. Mm-hmm. She's just she's in, the, she's in the new Thor movie, too. I didn't realize it, but she's... Uh, oh, she's in Thor? Yeah, really? she's in Ragnarok. She's, oh, uh, she's the main villain. I didn't even recognize her, but... Oh, is she really? Yeah, yeah I didn't once her again, either. looks like she has not aged a day. And no. I mean, shit, the original trilogy came out... The first one came out like oh, 16 years ago, 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, yeah it was a while ago. ago. It was a long time ago. But moving forward, we wanted to touch on a couple other things that we liked about The Hobbit. Yeah. And um, so we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, some s- uh, individual scenes that we thought were uh, were really good. And uh, one of the main reasons why <laughs> these scenes are good. Um, and we'll just preface this before we mention the scenes, just so you know, you know is that uh, they're the closest from Tolkien like and that's why they stand out as amazing scenes I don't think that's not necessarily why we chose them to be the no, scenes that we liked no, no. but we think that has a lot to, a lot do, to with do with why, why they were out they turned scenes. out to be good scenes because the story as the it was material. Yeah, the, source material the source material as it was was beautiful on its own mm-hmm. it was such a simple beautiful story but mm-hmm. so yeah one of those let's, let's start out from the top well. so one of the first things I wanted to mention one of the first thing first scenes Right off the bat, the unexpected party I thought was really well done. I liked the way that yeah. they introduced all the dwarves. Um, they did a good job, you know, having them all come in two by two and falling in the doors, and we got to get to know them all, which was mm-hmm. good. They introduced them, and the the way they shot Bag End too, they kind of like they it, did a really, really good job out there. Yeah, they did a really place. good job filling like a shooting within Bag End. And again, that goes back to that three D high frame rate, mm-hmm. which which made you feel like you were there mm-hmm. in Bag End. Other than that, there was also the meeting between Gandalf and Bilbo when they first met. 
oh, on yeah. Bilbo's front yeah. steps. That dialogue is oh, it was perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. it was fantastic. Yeah, the di- but, but again, again, that dialogue is almost directly from the book. So it's like almost word for word. Almost word for word. So like these are the scenes like. There might be some bias in us thinking these are the best scenes, but I, I feel like I would have liked these scenes better even if I hadn't read the book. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. They were just really good scenes, well put together. They moved well, and they were enjoyable. All right, so yeah, the unexpected party. That was one of the things that uh, we did like. So one of the other scenes that we liked isn't actually in the theatrical <laughs> the theatrical version of the movie. It was movie. in the extended. So yeah, so we're, you know... We're giving him the benefit of the doubt here by including scenes that are in the extended, because really that's mm. extended cuts don't count. Like you know what I mean? Like they're extra material. It's not like you don't get to. It's not a redo. You know what I mean? Like Zack Snyder with his director's cuts of DC movies. It's not a redo. It's extra stuff. But yeah. Anyway, the, the scene where the dwarves are introduced to Bayorn. It was uh, it was really well done. Again, uh, very similar to the. To the, intro- to the introduction in the unexpected party where they introduce him like One two by, by yeah. two. Yeah, two by two in groups. Um, but it was it was really well done. It it made me happy because also it was it was very faithful to the original story. Mm-hmm. So another scene that uh, we really wanted, we both really wanted to touch on because we both really liked was obviously Riddles in the Dark. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, you've got Andy Serkis doing a smash-up job once again. Um Martin Freeman doing fantastic. The whole scene was put together really well. It was I shot mean. really well. It was it was it was fucking everything about it. Everything was, about it. The way amazing. that they introduced you to where you were in Gollum's cave and kind of mm-hmm. what his cave was all about. You know what Bilbo's trying to do, get his way out of there, and then coming across Gollum, and then just the riddles. Yeah, and the riddles. Well, and like, and also another thing with the tech is like Gollum looked better than Gollum has ever fucking looked. Like mm-hmm. Gollum's also always looked really cool because that Very technology good. was always on the on the cutting edge of that sort of thing. They got uh, Academy Awards in what two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four for so two thousand. Four, so the movie, so Return of the King came out in 2003, so two, the one in 2004 was the one that they swept. They won, like, everything they were nominated mm-hmm. for. Yeah, they, I know they got a lot of praise for Gollum because he was really good back then. Now, even better. And the the scene from the uh, the Riddles in the Dark scene, it wasn't lifted directly from the book. The mm-hmm. dialogue and things were not for, verbatim, but they did a really good job adapting it into a movie setting. Mm-hmm. They did really good with some of the things Gollum would kind of go off and say about his teeth. And mm-hmm. It, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it, w- it was, um, it wasn't like taking liberties with the characters, like which is where you see the movie go wrong with a lot of things. Like, right. if they had Gollum start talking about some shit that like Gollum would never talk about, or you know, you. That's a liberty you shouldn't have taken. But, but they did a really good job keeping it within, you know, the, bounds, reason, of yeah. the bounds of reason. <laughs> within reason. That's all we wanted. And they couldn't do it. If they did more <laughs> of that. If they did more of that, it would have, the whole thing. Anyway, positives. Keeping positive. Yeah, we're staying positive. So another one of the points that we wanted to touch on, another thing that I personally really liked about the Hobbit trilogy was the score. I mean, they had uh, Howard Shore come back from the original trilogy to mm-hmm. make this score again. And uh, obviously, you know, they, they had some of the themes carry over, but then they ha- they created their own new themes right. for for this one. They had their, their own Hobbit theme that was pretty good. 
And uh, aside from that, they also decided that uh, they wanted to try to bring in some of the stuff from the book, uh, some of the the songs that they would sing. Because in the Hobbit book, there were there were songs. It was a kid's a lot book. of songs. Yeah, the dwarves had some songs which they included in this, which mm-hmm. was great. Um, when I was a kid, is typing exercises. I used to go into Tolkien, and like I had a whole book of where I had retyped all of the poems and songs that ever appeared in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I had them all saved on my computer. It was great. It was a great way to type. What a dork. What a dork, right? What a dork. What a Man. dork. But yeah, which is so I've always been obsessed with the songs. Me and my friend Sam actually, um, on a talent night around the campfire, um, at one point we sang um, Over the Misty Mountains Cold. We sang our own rendition of that. That was pretty cool. But yeah, the songs. And they they kept, they tried to keep as many songs as they could, right? Yeah, they did good. They did a good job. I, I appreciated that they tried to keep that in there because, uh, you know, The Hobbit was more of a kid's book, and mm-hmm. the movie, they tried to keep it kind of on track with that as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a pretty good job trying to keep in the songs. And the songs, like, weren't super corny, too. No, no, they did, nice. they did a good job putting them together. Mm-hmm. Over the Misty Mountains Cold was uh, a really awesome... It was really somber. A really somber, dwarvish... I don't want to say it. A chant, but a almost. Hymn. It was almost like a Gregorian. Yeah, Gregorian. That's some Catholic shit. Look it up. That's, yeah, going back to childhood days. Our Catholic roots. When daddy beat me. Tolkien was Catholic too, so it's all good. But one of the greatest things about the Hobbit trilogy that a lot of people might have not even noticed is a cameo by the great Stephen Colbert. And what a lot of people don't know about Stephen Colbert well, a lot of people who know Stephen do know this, is that he's a Tolkien expert, and he's actually beaten everybody who's ever worked on the Lord of the Rings movies in Tolkien trivia contests. So when we say he's an expert, we mean he's like, an expert. Like we aspire. Like Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens, who write the fucking Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies, lost in trivia contests to this man. I mean, are you really surprised? But And really, he's one of the only reasons we started this podcast. We, uh... <laughs> I mean, he he is basically. <laughs> we aspire to get him to, to get listen him. to this. Yeah, like just that we're gonna. Yeah, well, we have enough episodes. We're gonna, uh, you know, uh, p like direct message him on Twitter about it. And if you guys want to do the same, that'd be super cool. So if we have enough get people, our fan base, to yeah, harass who's ever him. listening to this, just you know, forward the link to Steven and be like, hey, they want you on this show, and like. If we, I was only aiming to get him to listen to it. If yeah, we no. actually got him to say anything on the show, even if it was pre-recorded, I would probably poop my pants. Right, but I mean, this show is so hip and cool and hilarious that why wouldn't he want to be on it? Right. I yeah. I don't understand. I don't we're get so, it. We're so with it. Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, we love you. Hope you're listening. If you're listening, we're we're entirely grateful. We're entirely grateful, and we liked um, your cameo. Yeah, and w- we would actually really like to hear how you really feel about the Hobbit movies. Because I know you, Stephen. I know you. You've never met the man, <coughs> but I know you. But I know you. <laughs> and one of the big things um, that's really good about the Hobbit movies, which I was really, really, really excited about, was the inclusion of the White Council and the Necromancer. And uh, although the White Council again shafted Kyrdan the Shipwright, who's not in the Council, Kyrdan, we we love you, man. We love you, man. Shout Where out to you? Q-Dan. But we, we really appreciated the White Council. Of the extra things that Peter Jackson decided he wanted to throw into this 
unnecessarily long trilogy. The White Council and everything that was going on there was actually very cool to see because that is originally only included in uh, the uh, appendices and the uh, unfinished tales. Um, there's the uh, quest for Erebor and the unfinished tales. Mm. If you if you haven't read it, it's kind uh, of it's kind of porn for anyone. It's pornographic for anyone that has read the Hobbit and the uh, the trilogy. If you don't plan on going back and rereading the entirety of the unfinished tales, there is a lot in there. At least try to read through the quest for Erebor. It is the uh, story of the Hobbit, but uh, kind of shortened and told from Gandalf's perspective. Why he Gandalf was even involved and why he was doing these things on the greater scale. And it's 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 really cool, and that's yeah. that's kind of where the White Council is. It's it's thrown in there. Uh, the stuff with Dol Guldur was also pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize, but actually, the scene where he's in Dol Guldur and he runs into Thrain. Thrain, yeah, that actually happens. He does that go to Dol Guldur, yeah, and he, he does and run into yeah. Thrain there. He doesn't know it's him. No, he doesn't know. He doesn't know at the time. He doesn't he know. He thinks he's just later. a crazy uh, dwarf. He starts yeah. talking about the last of the seven dwarven rings. He's mumbling about it. Which yeah, yeah. Uh, Gandalf didn't get to recover. Apparently, yeah. Sauron got it. Sauron from got him. it. So that's yeah. unfortunate. But uh, that's where Gandalf got the key and the map to the back door of the Lonely Mountain, also known as Erebor. By the way, I don't know if we mentioned that. Hmm. The dwarven word for the Lonely Mountain is Erebor. So we said quest for Erebor earlier. If that was confusing to you, that means the quest for the Lonely Mountain. Quest for the Lonely yeah. Mountain. I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure they refer to the Lonely Mountain as the Kingdom of Erebor multiple in, times. Do they do that in the movie? Oh, they do that in they the movie, do. don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they do. Yeah, yeah. They do. So yeah, if you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, Erebor. But uh, yeah, the whole White Council was uh, not only gorgeous to see, but uh, really, really great to watch. Minus Curedan. I mean, minus the fact that Kirdan was missing, it was, it was good. No, it was really good. I I enjoyed it. I liked seeing, and um, well, what they they kind of successfully did. And I mean, they should have done it in this way more than they did in other ways by linking the original trilogy, to the newer, you know, Hobbit mm-hmm. trilogy. Is That's what a, they should have done is done it a lot through more White Council shit. Yeah, and um, exactly. rather than like adding Noldor ma- or uh, Nandor magic and you know all this other nonsense. Yeah, because that's really the White Council is really what ties the Hobbit story into the overall series of events that happens in the Third Age. You know, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and, and Sauron and the Ring Wraiths. Because if you just read the Hobbit, it's just kind of its own lovely little tale. Mm-hmm. But then you read the trilogy, and you're well. You're wondering the trilogy. All this stuff has been going on for so long. You know, they mention Sauron being around, and they they mention uh, the War of the Ring and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and the uh, the quest for Erebor and the stuff that happens with the White Council and the appendices. That really ties in the story of the Hobbit into the trilogy. Why Why did Gandalf want to even get involved in this? Well, it's because he was worried about Sauron coming back. Mm-hmm. And I love. Uh, he <laughs> was particularly worried about Smog, the dragon. If mm-hmm. Sauron came back, dragons are naturally evil, evil creatures. They were creatures of Melkor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sauron was with Melkor, so naturally yeah. Sauron would try if to. If they could broker an alliance, if they brokered an alliance, that would Gandalf saw that that would more or less be the end. So Gandalf had the problem where he was uh, facing two problems at once. He knew he had to deal with the severe threat of Smog. Mm-hmm. If Sauron were to team up with Smog, that would be the end of their hopes to try and defeat him before he completely took over Middle-earth. 
But uh, even sooner than that, he knew that it was crucial that they stop Sauron from doing any preemptive attacks on specifically Rivendell and Lothlorien. Mm -hmm. Um, So he did a lot of multitasking. He found out that the line of Durin was just itching to go and get Erebor back. So he Mm -hmm. thought that was a great way to have them go off and try to deal with the dragon as best Mm -hmm. they can. And he tried to help them as much as they could. And the, yeah, and they, they were trying to roll in there right away, guns blazing. Like, they were trying to take away, take the mountain by force. And Gandalf ultimately knew that the, that was not a, a good idea. So he uh, kind of masterminded this plan that he would take their friend, he was his friend Bilbo, the little hobbit, and they would do kind of like a stealth mission. They would go in the back door, scope things out, see if they can get rid of this fucking dragon, you know. So while Gandalf is piecing together this idea and trying to get Thorin on board with this this random-ass hobbit that he didn't want to take, uh, he was also at the same time trying to go and meet up with the White Council and urge them to attack Dalgaldur before Sauron was able to do anything preemptively. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, if it hadn't been for those two things, they would have probably been fucked uh, because they were successful in driving him out of Dalgaldur, although they did mention that Sauron was kind of one step ahead of him anyway, and he just... Mm -hmm. He was ready to leave. He was ready to leave Dogledore at that point. He just Mm -hmm. booked it back to Mordor anyway, and he declared himself, what was it, 100 years later? Not even? No, 10 years later he declared himself. Um, And then, uh, I mean, Thorin and company ended up succeeding Mm -hmm. in getting rid of the dragon. So that that ended up uh, going pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it going a lot better than I could have. Going a lot, sure. and even so, that was barely enough in the end, mm-hmm. as you all well know. And I love one of the things about uh, that's really cool about Quest for Erebor is it talks about like basically how much Gandalf has on his plate at one point at at, at any point in time, and he says something to Thorin like, like if your interests didn't uh, coincide, like coincide with the interests of like the greater good and what I'm currently working on, like defeating Sauron. I wouldn't be helping you. Like he's like, yeah, you're part Thorin, of a bigger scheme. He's he's trying to convince Thorin to bring along Bilbo, I think, and then Thorin gets frustrated, and I I think he ultimately accuses Gandalf of having ulterior motives, and Gandalf just comes out. Gandalf and says, says, "Hell yeah, I got well, yeah, I do. If yeah. I if I didn't, I definitely would not be hel- here wouldn't helping be here. you, trying yeah. to get some treasure." He's like, "The fact that I have ulterior motives, you should see that as a good thing, because that means not only are you getting what you want done, but you're also working for the greater good yeah. of Middle Earth, which is why I'm here, bitch." Is basically what he's saying. Yeah, he just puts <laughs> Thorin in his place. Yeah, but ultimately, wh- how he convinced Thorin to bring uh, Bilbo, and I didn't, I didn't know this until a little earlier today when I was reading up on it, um, because Thorin was obviously very stubborn, didn't want to bring Bilbo along. And after the unexpected party, and everyone turned in for the night, Gandalf and Thorin were arguing late into the night, and in the end, Gandalf got totally frustrated and almost gave up on him. And uh, he basically said, like, if you Respect me, you'll take my friend with you, mm-hmm. regardless of what you think of him. And if you take my friend with you, you'll earn my friendship forever. And, and he then, straight up says, and you'll su- you'll probably succeed. If you don't, you will fail. He says, like, if you do not bring the Hobbit, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but separately, he brings up the fact that uh, Bilbo's his friend. And if you will take my friend with you, regardless of what you think of him, then I will be your friend and... Uh, then there was a brief explanation about how dwarves are actually very 
in tune with the idea of honor and friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and good that's friends. that's ultimately that's ultimately what it came down to. He respected Grant Gandalf's uh, friendship mm-hmm. and said, "Okay." Yeah. So it was really a favor from one friend to another mm-hmm. in the end, and which ended up ended up being good for everybody. Good for everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. won there. Well, except for Thorin, he died. <laughs> <laughs> Ending on a positive note. <laughs> Spoiler alert, if you have not if you have not seen this, we hope you'll watch it anyway. All right, so uh yeah, we ran out of a, um some positive things to talk about a lot quicker than uh we thought we were. And um, that's okay. We're really glad we ended it on a positive. Yeah, note. and that's the thing. And we don't want to get negative again because we could really, honestly, we could go back and talk about more shit we hate if we wanted to. After we recorded the first episode, we realized that there are a lot of things in the first episode we forgot to bitch about. And then mm-hmm. after we recorded the second episode, we realized there were a lot of things we forgot to bitch about. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to like the rabbits. <laughs> we didn't talk about the fucking rabbits. The fucking. Rustabelle rabbits. These are Rustabelle rabbits. Yeah. What about the Gundabad War? <laughs> These are Rustabelle rabbits. <laughs> he wasn't even at the fucking White Council. He was supposed to anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not bitching. But that was that was episode three of our three-parter. We're really glad that you guys uh, stayed with us through all three of these. I know the first two were probably a lot to get through, but. We wanted to end it on a positive note for you guys. Yeah. We're excited to move past The Hobbit and get on to uh, some more Tolkien-related stuff. The the nitty-gritty, as it were. The real good shit. Mm-hmm. The way that we want to do the podcast going forward is... Uh, I've seen a lot of other Tolkien podcasts are more like book clubs where they just go through the books one by one and go through stories in chronological orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we absolutely want to do that to an extent because we want there to be enough structure for you guys to, you know... Uh, keep on Tolkien with us, <laughs> uh, but uh, we also want to dig deeper. You know, we want to. Mm-hmm. We want. We don't want to just be the people retelling another story that everyone has. We want to actually give you our favorite parts of the Tolkien universe. We're going to pick out for each episode. We're going to make our own subject, mm-hmm. and we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start at the top layer and uh, maybe review stuff that people can uh, can relate to, and then we want to dig you deeper into the the really good, the meat. And uh, ultimately, the the goal of uh, our goal is to make you love this shit as much as we do. That's all that we want. That's we want to we, we want to share our love with you guys, which uh, maybe not have been so evident in the past couple episodes where we just bitched. But <laughs> we really want we really want to share. It's out our of love. love, though, you know. Um, yeah. So like, we we want to share share our love for the legendarium, and we're gonna pick the coolest parts that maybe will make you more inclined to sit and read this shit because it's not easy i'm not going to say that this er, especially the early the first stage you know totally the first shit. stage is uh, more or less it's it, hard to digest it's hard to digest simply due to the volume of it's places dense. and names yeah very that's dense. that's the hardest thing about it but the stories there are absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. the majority of tolkien's writing is first age elder days stuff mm-hmm. and it's yeah. and that's that's what we're hoping to to introduce people to yeah um so our next episode we're gonna we're gonna talk about a familiar face, um, somebody you might know but probably don't know all that much about really, Sauron, the Dark Lord, the Dark Lord himself, also known as Myron, Thu, Telvildo, and Gothaur the Cruel. Right. And we're it? gonna we're gonna get into all of these for you. We're gonna yeah. break it down. We're gonna give you a 
Sauron's been around since the very beginning. Granted, he wasn't very prevalent in the the early, early days. Mm -hmm. But as soon as uh, another character that some people might recognize, Melkor, came around, uh, that's when uh, Sauron was his uh, his number three, and you start to see him doing some mischievous things. Mm -hmm. So we'll break that down for you in our episode four. Yeah, so... Please listen, subscribe on iTunes, uh, check us out on SoundCloud if that's not your thing. Um, yeah, just keep keep on listening and keep as on, always. As always, keep on talking. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>